Well, amen for Sunday morning. Amen. I wouldn't want to be anywhere but in church on Sunday morning. Well, there are a lot of people not in church today, but uh, praise the Lord for our opportunity of being here. Let's turn in our Bibles this morning, if we would, please, together to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. Thank the Lord for that beautiful song that was sung to us. And uh, we praise the Lord for the truth of it and for Christmas time, right? We thank the Lord for Christmas. It's always be Christmas to me. And uh, I don't care whatever else anybody wants to call it, it's Christmas to me. And uh, if they want to have a holiday that they want to uh, uh, dedicate it to, uh, to uh, Mortimer Snurd or or, uh, or uh, Mickey Mouse, that'd be okay to me, or some of those characters, but uh, I wouldn't mind a Christmas time, amen? And I praise the Lord for this opportunity of being here in God's house at Christmas time. It's a joy for us to be here, and I'm going to uh, study tonight about uh, uh, something special out of uh, the Mideast. You know, there's a lot of prophecy about what's going on over there with Iraq and Iran and uh, what's going on in Jerusalem and uh, uh, Syria and Lebanon. It's all written in the Word of God. It's all, all schemed out and planned out by the Lord. And I'd like to preach tonight to, to you, if I may, on who owns the land. Who really owns the land over there? You know, that's the squabble, isn't it, huh? Who has the land? Who owns the land? I want to talk about that tonight. I think it'll be a surprise to you, whom I say that really owns the land. So you, you come tonight, and I believe it'll be a blessing to you. All right, Matthew chapter 14. Let's look at, uh, uh, we could start in verse 22, but I think maybe I'll start in 21 and read down to about verse 32 or something like that. You follow me as I read. And they that had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Now, you remember the story of Jesus feeding the multitude with a little basket lunch of a little boy. All right, verse 22. And straightway Jesus constrained His disciples to get into a ship and to go before Him into the other side while He sent the multitudes away. After He fed them, He told the disciples to get in the boat and go across the Sea of Galilee to the other side. And He said to multitudes, who were well fed, away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be not a, be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come, un, uh, come to, uh, uh, unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. 
And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come unto the ship, the wind ceased. Uh, and they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. I'd like to preach to you today about the Lord Jesus Christ in this occasion, in the life of him and the disciples. You know, there is not much said in the Bible about the Lord's person. That is to say, there isn't anything said about what color his hair was or how tall he was. It doesn't say anything about really about uh, his countenance, uh, what he looked like, or, uh, or, or any of those things about him personally. But it does say something about his hands. In fact, the matter is, the Bible says that, uh, that the meek and lowly Christ, the Bible says in Matthew 19, stretched forth his hands and, and, suffered, and said, Suffer the little children and forbid them not, and he laid his hands on them. It talks about loving hands. He loved the children, and he stretched forth his hands. There was a woman one time in visitation when I was out knocking doors in Connecticut that said, Oh, you want to see Jesus? She said, Come into my house, and I'll show you to him. And I walked in the house. I probably shouldn't have gone. But I went in the house, and there in her house was a statue, an icon, of what is called the Sacred Heart of Jesus. It's supposed to be Jesus Christ with a heart exposed on the outside and His finger, kind of like the Pope does, touching that so-called heart that was kind of protruded on the outside. And she said, that's exactly what Jesus looked like. I said, well, how do you know that? She said, well, I know that because uh, Luke was an artist and uh, he painted pictures of Christ and uh, they survived till today and, uh, and uh, we know what he looks like, and this is what he looks like. Well, but every icon I've ever seen of Christ, none of them looks exactly alike. So there must be a lot of variations of so-called the Christ. Nobody knew what he looked like, because there wasn't any artist that painted any pictures. In fact, it wasn't even right in those days to make any likeness of a man. That's one of the uh, commandments, is it not, of the Ten Commandments. And uh, so... We know very little about uh, what he looked like or the way he was, but we know that he had tender, merciful hands because he reached out to the little children. He had healing hands. The Bible says, And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, speaking of the leper, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Jesus had healing hands. And then he had savings hands. The Bible says, uh, that uh, though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me, stretch forth thine hand against the, uh, uh, the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. He has saving hands. I remember when I was a boy, just a little boy, I was afraid of the dark. And uh, I remember crying through the night sometimes because it was dark in our house. A lot of times we had no electricity in the house and it had to be lit by lamps, and it wasn't really safe, that safe, to go to bed at night with a lamp on. And it was dark in the house, and I was afraid. And I remember my mother pulling my crib. I mean, I remember this distinctly. 
my mother pulling my crib up by her bed and putting her hand in on my chest, and I'd pull it up to my face and hug it and go to sleep with the assurance of her hand there in that bed with me. And all that meant so much to me. Well, you know, the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Bible are those kinds of good hands, compelling hands, uh, tender hands that give peace to those who are often in trouble. And now we see here a special time in the life of the disciples and of Jesus when there was a, a storm involved in the story. What happened was that Jesus had fed the multitudes and he had sent them away. And the Bible says he constrained the disciples to get into the boat. Now, I, I don't think it was, a, I don't think it was a, a, a kind of an angry command, but it was a definite command. It was a constraining command, so much so that the disciples knew that they'd better get in that boat and get across the sea, because that's what Jesus told them to do. It was one of those commands that they knew they needed to obey. And so they got in the boat, and they started across that body of water. Well, it was evening time. I'm sure they were tired from their day's experience and probably was ready for the bed. But they got in the boat just the same. It was evening time, and it wasn't the best time to go sailing across that water because there was oftentimes little storms in the evening would come with the setting of the sun and the raising of the wind that kind of follows the sun around the earth. And the water in that little lake or the Lake of Gennesaret, Sea of Galilee, is shallow. And it's uh, much like our lake in Ohio called Lake Erie. It's shallow. And therefore, winds that come up quickly can cause it to be very turbulent. And that's what happened in the Sea of Galilee there. There was a storm involved in that evening. And here the disciples in the boat, and the boat in the sea, and the sea with a storm. And I don't think... Uh, I don't think Peter, who was kind of always the uh, captain uh, of the boat, where, wherever he was, I don't think Peter really would have done that, but he did it because the Lord told him to. You know, whenever the Lord tells us to do something, we need to obey Him. Even though sometimes we can't figure out exactly why He is saying what He is saying and why He is leading as He leads, we, uh, we, 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 we need to obey Him. And we need to follow Him. And so the disciples did. They got in the boat, and here comes the storm. It was quite, quite a little storm. And Jesus, the Bible says, who was uh, uh, quite a ways, about three and a half miles away from them, it says in the book of Mark, looked out from the place He was praying in the mountaintop and saw the disciples in trouble. Now, I'm about to say that today, you know... Uh, Whenever you're in trouble, no matter how turbulent the problem may be, Jesus can look through the storm and see you. You just never get away from His gaze. He always sees you because He is concerned about you. And He loves you. And He, he will handle the situation with tender care because He has tender hands. And He looked out and saw the disciples in trouble. The waves were rolling. The wind was blowing. And that little sail that they had on that boat probably was not really strong enough to uh, guide them across the sea as they needed, needed to go. And uh, there in trouble, Jesus went out, 
to meet them on the water. And he started walking on the water. And the waves at his feet, probably the storm at his back, he walks out to greet the disciples. Now, it's nothing new for Jesus to be able to do something like that because it was his hand that made the sea. He was the one that created it. I mean, it was, it was his voice that spake everything into existence. And so it would be nothing for him to walk on the sea. I tell you right now, I can't walk on the sea. And I've been in some troublesome storms sometimes on the sea. And I'll tell you right now, I don't like it. And I've seen the time when I wish that I could have walked on the water on the top of the storm. But I can't walk on the top of the water on the top of the storm. But Jesus can. And He did. You say, Brother Clayton, you believe He walked on water? Sure, I believe He walked on the water. Because the Bible says He walked on the sea. And as therefore, I believe it. Now, He walked out to meet these disciples on the sea. And when they saw Him, some of them said, Oh, look, there's a ghost. Well, not really a ghost, but a spirit. We would kind of say ghost today. Look out there on that water. It looks like a ghost. It looks like a spirit. Well, you know why they would think it was a spirit? is because they wouldn't think that anybody could walk on the water, and especially on the top of the stormy waves that were rolling at his feet. Oh, I love this, I love this story. I really do. I like to preach about it. Because as you can, my, my mind, I can imagine Jesus walking on that sea, can't you? With these waves and white capping and, and boisterous wind and all the storm, Jesus walks through the storm and on top of the sea going out to, to meet his disciples. And when he walked out there to meet them, someone said, look, it's a spirit. And he said, no, it is I. Jesus said, it's me. They knew his voice. They knew as soon as he said that, it was. And they said, it's the master. And Peter said, Lord, if it really is you, let me walk out on the water to you. And Jesus beckoned him to come. And he started walking on the water to meet the Lord Jesus. Now, Peter started to doubt. But why wouldn't Peter doubt? And why wouldn't he be afraid? After all, he had been raised out there on that sea. He knew something about those storms. And I'm sure that he had seen a lot of his loved ones go out uh, fishing on that water and uh, not come back because of a storm and maybe would not be found until days later when they would find them floating somewhere dead in the water that had taken their lives. It's a, it's a, it's a fearful thing to be in a storm. Honestly, I can remember some myself. And I can remember uh, uh, several times I almost drowned. And, and I mean, I have, a, I have a, this fear about getting out on the water. And if, if I would join any branch of the service, the last one I'd want to join would be the Navy. Because I just don't like that business of getting out there on that water. Now, my brother, I had to, a brother and a brother-in-law was in the Navy. And I cheered them, you know. When I was a boy, when I saw any naval picture in the movies, I'd cheer loud because I had uh, relatives there. But for me... I wouldn't want to be in the Navy, and I wouldn't want to be in a boat in a storm. I don't care how big the boat was or how little the storm was. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be the kind of guy who'd want to sail in calm water, let me tell you something. But here they are in a little boat in a big storm, and Jesus comes walking on the water. 
And Peter starts to walk to Jesus and starts to be afraid. He heard the wind. He would heard that wind all of his life and had been afraid of it all of his life. He would seen those turbulent waters all of his life and he had been afraid of them. He probably had been himself out there many times when he just barely got back with his own life because that was the experience of fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. Whenever he started to fear, he started to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me! And Jesus reached down that hand, that tender, loving, saving, healing, merciful hand reached down and pulled Peter up out of the deluge. Oh, I love that, don't you? I think about a song that we used to sing when I was a kid. Our family all sang together, and my dad played all the instruments, and we would get together and sing. One of the songs we used to sing was when he reached down his hand for me. The old song says, Once my soul was astray from the heavenly way. I was wretched and blind as could be. Then my Savior in love gave me peace from above when he reached down his hand. Wow, when He reached down His hand for me. When my Savior reached down for me. When He reached way down for me. I was lost and undone without God and His Son. When He reached down His hand for me. I mean, I put myself, when I read this, right in the place of Simon Peter. Sinking in the deluge, hopeless. Without, without, any, without any firm foundation. And I cried out, and the Lord reached down and lifted me up. Oh, what a wonderful thought that is, is it not? I remember that day very plainly. When I was sitting in the pew, and I heard a note. Well, it was seats. It wasn't a pew. It was theater seats. The uh, theater had gone out of business in that town and given them seats to the church. And they had nailed them to the floor. And they were kind of, kind of wobbly. They weren't real, real firm. And I sat down in that wobbly seat that night and I listened to that preacher preach and I could almost see myself lost in a deluge of my own sins. And I cried aloud. I cried out to the Lord. And He saved me that night. He reached down His merciful hand and saved me and pulled me up out of the miry clay. I mean, there was a storm. It was a storm here like maybe the one my dad used to say, boys, there's a storm coming, we better get under the wagon. I remember as a little boy getting down on the ground, uh, laying my face in the dirt, and that storm blowing that dirt all around me. And me, I, I, I didn't really have anything to hang on to, but I mean, I just kind of had my hands, as it were, clutching the dirt, hanging on to the dirt. And that storm would, would roll over that farm field, and, and it would blow, and the trees sometimes would break and be slammed to the ground. And there I was under that wagon. I don't know if the wagon would have helped me or not, but I'll tell you, I was uh, down there digging around trying to... I mean, if I could have, I'd have dug me a hole because I was afraid of that storm. And the night I got saved, I felt like that little boy again. In the midst of that storm, tossed about with the wind that was blowing about me. And I was saying to myself, I can't save myself. I can't help myself. And so I cried out, Oh, Lord, save me. And he reached down his hand and saved me. 
What a wonderful story that is. Jesus in his wonderful salvation reaches out to us and pulls us unto himself and, 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 and wipes away the sins and stains and gives us an ever, everlasting life. That, that's the message of the Bible. That's the story of salvation. That, 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 that's, the, that's the thing that we have to declare to the world. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. I don't like the storm. I must admit you, admit to you, I don't like the storm. I've been in a lot of them, but I don't like the storms. I'd rather have a nice calm day with the sun shining as the storm. And I would rather have a life like that too. I'd rather have a victorious life with the Son of God shining in my soul than I would have to be going through all the storms of life. But there's a lot of people that go through storms. Terrible storms. I mean, there's the storm of doubt. Sometimes there's the storm, storm of temptation. Oh, how the devil knows how to tempt us, amen? He wants to tempt us and abuse us. And it is a storm. It's a struggle to be able to go through life uh, fighting as it were Satan himself, who would love to see us destroyed. Now, I tell you right now, the devil wants to destroy you. It's in his plan to destroy you. But Jesus wants to reach out his hand and pull you up in tender love and save you. I, when I was a kid on the farm, we had a, a big farmhouse that sat up on top of the hill overlooking the Miami River Valley. It was a beautiful river valley. Most of the land in Ohio where I was born is flat, except that river valley. And uh, that river runs down through that, that area, so, so beautiful and peaceful. And our big old house set up on a hill overlooking it. And there was two windows in the front of our house. In the, in the parlor, we call, it, we call it the front room. We had a living room where we had the stove and where we stayed. But the parlor, that was for, for real private use, personal use for friends of my dad and mother when they would come, they'd sit in the parlor and talk and drink coffee. It was a special place. We had sliding doors between the living room and the parlor. And in the wintertime we didn't heat the parlor. But sometimes I would go in there because I loved to look out those big windows down over that valley. We had a big spring out in the front yard of bubbling water that boiled over there uh, great big round spring and, and a spring house and, and we had these big giant cottonwood trees and, and a meadow and then a little woods in the river and I, I would look out and especially in the winter time when it snow it was so beautiful and I'd look out down through there oftentimes and stand there and enjoy the sight but right in the middle between the two picture or between the two windows there was a picture my mama had gotten that picture in a, in a farm auction. That's like a garage sale now, but my mama had gotten that picture, maybe paid a nickel for it, I don't know. Handmade frame. That picture is hanging there. The picture was of a shepherd, a far eastern shepherd, who was reaching down over a precipice to a sheep that was caught in the brambles and briars just beyond his reach. What had happened, my mama told me the story that he had been down that way with his flock of sheep that day, and he had not noticed that one of them had fallen over the edge of this precipice, this, this tall mountainside that went down 
to a deep valley below. If that sheep would have gone down, that would have killed him, of course. But he was caught in the brambles and briars and the thicket that is holding him up. And uh, he had come down that way, that shepherd was of those sheep, and one had fallen off. And he had gotten his whole flock down to his little barn, his little hole. And he stood at the threshold of that little barn, and he had called out their names, and they had jumped in. He got down to 90, 95, 96, 97, 98, 99, but the 100 sheep was not there. And uh, Mama said, he left the sheep in the fold, and he started back up to find that one that was lost. And uh, it's a Bible story. And he got way up that mountain and followed the path that he had trod, and there was that sheep on that precipice, caught in the brambles and briars, blating out to him. A blate of a sheep is sometimes like, almost like a scream of a child. And that sheep was hanging. And in the picture, you could see the sheep's face. His tongue was hanging out. His eyes were big in fear. He just knew that he was going to fall down. And up above him, were in the sky, were eagles flying, waiting for that sheep to fall for their meal that they would eat that night. But the shepherd was reaching down. He had his left hand on the shepherd's crook. He was holding on to the shepherd's crook and the edge of the mountain, and he was reaching way down for that sheep. There were some places on that sheep where somebody had taken some red ink and made it look like blood. I'm sure that the sheep was bleeding and blating and in fear. Mama said that the shepherd was able to get a hold of the sheep and pull him up and get the briars out of his wool and put that sheep on his shoulders and carry him down, way down to the sheepfold, down to the little barn, where he took him in where the straw was dry and soft, where the other sheep, his friends, were bedded down for the night. Mama said it was a storm came out of those mountains because there were black clouds in the picture. You could tell there was a storm coming. Mama said the storm came out of the mountains down across the top of that little barn that night and rattled the, the windows and, and rattled the shingles. But they were safe inside that. And the shepherd sat there stroking his little lost sheep and calling him by name and settling him down, wanting him to rest for the night. Mama said that's the way the shepherd, our shepherd, would do for us. For every lost sheep, whatever that sheep would be in the midst of the storm, he reaches his tender saving hand down over the precipice to pull that sheep up to safety and to love and to security. In his own arms, he pulls us up near his heart and he strokes away the fear. Jesus wants to do that for you, my friend. He wants to pull you up to His... Listen, are you, are you in a storm? Are you facing a problem in life? Jesus wants to reach down and lift you up and pull you out and save you from the storm. 
and give you peace. Like the old song says, when he reached down his hand for me. Let's bow our heads in prayer. I'd like to ask you a few questions here this morning, if I could, before we pray. How many here would say, Brother Clayton, I'm facing a storm right now in my life? Maybe a storm at home, in the family. It's Christmas time, and it should be a time of happiness, but oftentimes it's a time of agitation and problems and storms. I wonder how many would say, Brother Clayton, I'm facing some storms in my life right now. It may be a problem at work. It may be a problem at school. It may be, it may be a problem just in your own life and no, not, no one knows anything about it but you. Maybe you're wrestling with doubt or with opposition and temptation. Maybe you've got a wrestling match going on right now in your heart. And you'd like to say, Preacher, while you pray this morning, I'd like for you to pray for me. Would you slip up your hands? How many? Oh, God bless us. God bless us this morning. That's a lot of hands. My heart goes out to you today. While our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, we're, a moment we're going to pray. Let's stand on our feet together as we pray this morning, please. The moment I want us to sing that old song, I must tell Jesus if it's in the book. All of my troubles, I cannot bear these burdens alone. It's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful, beautiful thought. We can tell Jesus our problems and our heartaches. First, I want us to pray. Our Father in heaven, as we come before thee this morning, we pray that you would help us, Lord, in our struggle and our problems in life. Father, Heavenly Father, you know that every one of us are individually different and we have to face life in an individually different way. You made it that way, Lord. That's a part of your genius and creation. But Lord, we have to know that even though we face individual problems, we know that collectively you're the answer to our question. You're the solution to our problem. If you're our guide, the Lord, you would lead us into victory and blessing because we know that's the kind of God you are. Now I pray, Heavenly Father, this morning that you'd bless each of our hearts and lives today. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would direct us and bless us and help us, Lord, that we might might know you better than we've ever known you before. And for our individual problems, the storm that that maybe we're going through, Father. We pray that you'd calm the waves. We pray that you'd break up the uh, black clouds of the storm and silence the deep bass voice of the thunder and take out of the sky the lightning flashes and give us a clear, happy life and a clear, happy day. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you'd reach down your hand today. And as it were, Pull us up to your heart and kiss away our problems and calm away our fears. 
Bless, I pray, in this morning hour, this invitation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want us to find that song, could we? I must tell Jesus it's 238 in your songbook. 238. 238 in your songbook. I want us to sing this morning this song. If you'd like to slip out of your seat and come today and talk to the Lord, that, that's what this altar is made up here for. It's built up here for us to pray. I want us to come. I want us to fill the altar this morning and talk to the Lord. And especially those of you who raise your hands, you come and talk to the Lord. Talk to the Lord about the problem you're facing. And if you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior, you're not sure of heaven, I'd like to invite you to come. Let us take a Bible and show you how to be born again. God bless you as we sing. You come. I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot bear these burdens alone. If I but ask Him, He will deliver. He ever loves and cares for His own. I must tell Jesus I must tell Jesus I cannot bear these burdens alone. I must tell Jesus I must tell Jesus Jesus will help me Jesus alone. Isn't that a beautiful song? I didn't sing it exactly right but it has a message, a wonderful message. I must tell Jesus, I, I wouldn't want to grow through life without having Him as my guide and friend. I, I wouldn't want to face the storm without His calming hand to guide me. I, I wouldn't want to live my life without His direction. I wouldn't want to have to face my daily problems without His assurance. I'll go with you, and I'll bless you, and I'll lift you up. He wants to do that for you today. You come on and take this place of prayer that's vacant up here and talk to Him today. As we sing the second verse, you come, God bless you. I must tell Jesus all of my trouble. He is a kind, compassionate friend. If I but ask Him, He will deliver. Make of my troubles quickly an end. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, I cannot bear my burdens alone. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, Jesus can help me, Jesus alone. I want us to sing the third verse together this morning. I want you to listen to those words, because they'll speak to your heart. Let's sing it. Tempted and tried, I need a great Savior, one who can help 
my burdens to bear. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, He all my cares and sorrows will share. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, I cannot bear my burdens alone. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, Jesus will help me, Jesus alone. Amen. Brother Grant, if you just come forward for a moment. We don't want anyone to have an excuse not to be here Sunday morning. Amen. And so we're going to stop early Saturday night. We're going to stop at 930. Uh, we'll have some fun and some good fellowship and different things. But uh, we want you to, to be here for the watch night service 
Saturday night, and then we'll have our 10:30, 11:15, and our um, and, and our 6 p.m. service. Now, uh, we've we're going to change the name uh, of our Sunday school time. Uh, I've been battling this with this for several years. We call it Family Bible School, Family Sunday School. Uh, our, our Sunday school, it's, it, and it's really not a traditional Sunday school in the fact that we don't divide everybody up into a bunch of little groups. And we, we have lots of room in the building, but we don't have lots of rooms. Uh, so we end up all together in one big room. And, and really what we do in our Sunday school time is through the Bible. Now, it's not J. Vernon McGee and the radio program, all right? But uh, we, and, and so that's, we're going to just, if you look at our Yellow Pages ad, we're going to put that in there. And, and we're just going to start calling that through the Bible time because that's what it is. It's for everybody. We're going through the Bible. If you've been here since the beginning, we have just started through the Bible for the fourth time in our stories. Now, it's taken us 13 years to get that far. Uh, and does anybody know everything yet? Oh, we're just we're just getting started, amen. And uh, Lord willing, thirteen years from now, we'll still be going through the Bible, amen. Uh, because that's all we have. If I could get a couple of men to help here with the pulpit, uh, we need to kill this mic.
And all God's people said, Baptism is a wonderful thing, is it not? And uh, we need to pray that more would be willing just to simply identify with the Lord Jesus Christ through baptism. We call it believer's baptism because you have to be a believer first in order to get baptized. Amen? And it's just a wonderful picture. Jesus died. You go back into the water. He was buried. You go under the water. He rose again. You come out of the water. That's the best part. Amen? When you get saved, the Holy Spirit of God takes you and puts you into Jesus Christ. The best part is you never have to come up for air. Amen? And so we, we picture those things today. It's also the surrender of myself. The death and the burying of all of my plans, my wishes, my hopes, my desires. And the new life that I live from this day forward is dedicated to the things that Jesus wants me to do. Baptism is it's a living picture. And it's a wonderful thing. We have baptism is also part of our worship, amen. It's simply being obedient to God. Which I didn't forget. Ushers, if you'll come, we'll take the offering this morning. God to bless you all. Let's all stand together. Brother Franz, lead us as we're dismissed. 705, if you need the words. Take the name of Jesus with you, child of sorrow and of woe. It will joy and comfort give you. Take it then where'er you go. Precious name, oh how sweet. Hope of earth and joy of heaven, precious name, oh how sweet. Hope of earth and joy of heaven, thank you for being with us.